S&P forecasts that Asia-Pacific will achieve real growth of 3.5% in 2023, while Europe and the U.S. will likely face recession. But Asia, being a supplier to the world, will likely not be totally out of the woods. Now, technology has made financial reporting easy for everyone involved in the process, from the finance and accounts team preparing reports to the regulators, investors, and others who use those reports. That said, technology is only one aspect of the reporting process, with reporting regulations continuing to evolve and market uncertainties remaining unpredictable in 2023. How should the CFO or the chief financial officer, together with other finance leaders and indeed the entire finance department, work to ensure the team is able to meet expectations? With us today in Podchats for Future CFO is Mr. Ryan Gunn, Global Reporting and Statutory Leader for Baker Hughes, to talk to us about the continuing transformation of finance reporting. Ryan, welcome to Podchats for Future CFO. Thanks, Alan. Good afternoon. And I'm honored to be on this opportunity. What is Baker Hughes and the role you play as global reporting and statutory leader for the company? So Baker Hughes, we are into this uh, oil and gas technology where we serve many oil giants globally. Some names, for example, like Shell, uh, ExxonMobil, like in Malaysia, we have Petronas and so forth. Basically for us, because we have about three to 400 legal entities worldwide globally, yeah, where I'm responsible for. Uh, that's where we actually go for this uh, shared service kind of structure. We normally call it in our specific term in Baker Hughes Global Finance Organization, GFO, where we are located in the central location, like in my case, in Kuala Lumpur. And we have another sister GFO located in Budapest. Yeah, So we provide various of financial services and so forth. And of course, because we are covering for a global perspective, you know, such a large scale, we do have to, you know, require a large team involved. Yeah? So our current size is between 700 to 1,000. Can you describe the work conditions for the finance controller and his or her team? Very interesting because for finance reporting, uh, we get to see lots of areas. But just for the colleagues out there, what are the landscape you know, or the work tasks that you should be expecting? So firstly, for us in this uh, shared service environment, or some normally call it as a SSC. Some companies call them as the GB, which stands for Global Business Services. And in my company in specific, we call it as GFO. We are pretty much, like I described earlier, you know, a people business because we are managing a large team. And our team are the ones that are providing these value-added services to our service recipients. And normally, they are outside of our country. So that's why we are able to cover a global or sometimes a regional scope and so on. So like my case, aside from Asia-Pacific, our stakeholders are located in Europe, in the Sub-Sahara region, in Middle East, and also in this uh, North America and South America. Why we are able to provide such a value-added services is because of the, the key three advantages. Number one is, of course, we have this bundling efficiency. This term is normally where for some local companies, right, for you to be having this task of finance reporting, maybe you only need about 0.7 FTE yeah, located in Hong Kong. You need another 0.3 FTE located in Singapore. So, of course, you cannot have a 0.7 or 0.3 FTE. So, that means that you have to physically hire 2% yeah, in each of these locations uh, locally. But for us in a shared service environment, we're able to bundle this and become only 1 FTE because 0.7 and 0.3, you're able to achieve bundling uh, efficiency. And the second part is, of course, you're able to bundle that's where you also achieve the labor cost advantage. Uh, of course, we know that the labor cost in Hong Kong, Japan, yeah, and Singapore is a little bit uh, still on the higher end. So when you're located in, let's say, Kuala Lumpur, 
That's why you have the labor cost advantage. And the third part is that we can assemble such a large quantity in this shared service or GFO environment. It is certainly much easier for us to pursue technology business case certification because for one particular task that we're automating, let's say point one FTE, if you multiply by let's say 100 employees, you can already achieve 10. And it's easy for us to go for business case certification. These are the areas that you know allows us to be able to provide the types of financial reporting services ranging from general ledger accounting, reporting, audit and compliances. Uh, we also do support asset accounting. Nowadays, it's very famous the term we call it as the IFRS 16. We also do provide tax reporting and also cover some projects and so forth. So what has been the most significant change to the function since the start of the pandemic or there's no change at all? Yes, um, this part also depends on whether the finance organization are already like our structure uh, in the SSC or whether are they, you know, more still on site. And I believe in the current situation in year 2023, majority of the, not just the large scale organization are already into this shared service structure because they can fully harness the benefit like I described earlier. Yeah. So in short, as you can guess by now, the impact is very much lesser to us because whether or not our service is to our customers in Asia or Europe or America, whether we work from home or we work in the office, they will not feel a single difference because our quality of the service is still the same. And that's what prompted the global CFO where our group, you know, like previously in Baker Hughes, uh, ESF and now in Baker Hughes, they felt that since the people can work from home in the local country, why not we actually transfer them to work in KL or in um, in Berlin yeah, or in the, this uh, Montevideo. And that's where during this pandemic, one thing which I saw was the most significant change was a major shift or we call it the migration of the finance team previously located in a local. Now they are all in the verge of transforming into this shared service center. That's where us now in the shared service, because of this heavier team coming over from onshore to offshore, we have to think about these five areas. How do we cater for them and also cater for us in the shared service? So the, the few things we have to consider is about the uh, office infrastructure. Uh, how do we actually plan and accommodate for them to be more collaborative? Giving them some rooms to be doing some creativity, giving them hot desking, removing all the all the partitions, which is a little bit high, yeah? and we can infuse more creativity. And at the same time, we're going to now set a work from the office policy. So like for Baker, we only require them to be in the office for five days a month. Yeah? So these are the few examples that we are pursuing and so forth. Now, Gardner says there is a mounting pressure to digitize finance. We've been hearing that for a few years now. Given the many other priorities on the finances plate, for example, accelerate digital business, maybe security organization, is digitizing finance, or some others call it transforming finance, is it still a high priority on the agenda for a lot of CFOs? What do you think? Yes, Alan. Let me share uh, some perspective because I think this is a very good question. Yeah. So for me, if I can recall one of the famous uh, quote from Charles Darwin, yeah, uh, it is not necessarily the strongest or the smartest that can survive, but typically those that are able to adapt to changes. Because for us in Baker Hughes, right, and also previously in BSF, we have these two key focus that, you know, what got us where we are, because we are a giant multinational company, does not necessarily guarantee us that it will bring us to the next destination. So it means that if we do not start thinking for ourselves into the future, trust me, some other people will start thinking for you. So I would like to share these two very famous historical multinational giant that unfortunately went through this event. One of them is Kodak. In Kodak, we are all well known that they, are, they were the king of photography. Uh, and late in the 1990s, where digital photography began to kickstart and so forth, Kodak, they completely ignored it. 
And uh, eventually in year 2012, they had to file for bankruptcy. Uh, the next one I think I can recall was Nokia. Right? Nokia was the king of mobile phone back then. For me as well, I, I got my first mobile phone from Nokia. Then came along these uh, smartphones from Apple, from uh, Blackberry. Yeah? Nokia pretty much was a little bit in their comfort zone. They missed this wave. And uh, by the time they realized it in year 2020, it was already a little bit too late for them. So for me, right, I always equate you know, our life and corporate objective that the best defense is to attack. You know, you, I, I, I always practice this from uh, Sun Tzu. So lesson learned from what I shared earlier, it is very important to continuously invest into the future, not to be stingy because this investment, of course, with the business case certification will for sure bring benefits to the company in the longer run. Along with what Gartner said just now, we should prescribe I'm fully uh, aligned and it's very important for us to remain aggressive, right? So that you can continue to be relevant into the future. Of the many technologies being introduced, we've heard about artificial intelligence, data analytics, automation. Which do you see are the ones that finance will prioritize at least in the short term, maybe even the midterm and the long term? Yeah, this is a very good question nowadays when we think about digitalization. Many finance leaders and CFOs, uh, sometimes they quickly would like to jump into the digital wave. But for me, uh, it's important for us to take a step back first. I think it's good to go through these three checklists. Uh, first of all, before you we consider going to digitalization, yeah, the first one is, is to ask ourselves whether is it necessary to go for straight away digitalization or we call it automation. Sometimes it's good to evaluate whether is it good to just eliminate the entire process. Because if the task is no longer value-added, and if you automate a non-value-added task, it's actually pretty much garbage in, garbage out. Second perspective is we should think about, instead of doing it in 10 steps, can we simplify? Can we make it now into 5 steps? Because always in um, finance, we always follow our predecessor. We, we never challenge. Sometimes it's good to challenge and ask the purpose. Why did we do this in the, in the first case? You know, you have done the same in the last 20 years. Why are we still doing it now? Yeah, can we simplify it? And like for my case, when I'm covering a global role, because I have uh, about six regions within my care, you know, I always pursue first whether can we standardize the process. Yeah, so after we actually go through these three important challenges, only we actually go into the digitalization. But again, before that, yeah, digitalization is not meant for everyone. You have to firstly ensure that you have the manpower to do it on a passionate basis, on a longer term basis. It cannot be short term because uh, it's not something that you can just put it as, as a badge of honor and done deal, yeah. You must have somebody who is passionate and that's where in finance nowadays, we encourage our team members to pursue double major. Instead of finance, they actually go for, let's say, RPA and so forth. The last but not least, many CFOs and finance leaders, they neglect the fact that once the technology go live, you must have knowledge management. But what if one day, you know, technology sometimes crashes. So it's actually important to have some manual backups in place to still go back to the key purpose. And, you know, we can actually go with the manual process in case technology fails. So back to your question, how do we prioritize digitalization into whether it's short term, medium term or long term? For me, short term is something between three to six months. And it means that these are the low hanging fruits. We should pretty much utilize our own team members uh, within our own group. And it should be something that's easy to achieve. And these are the ones that we can actually go for. You can actually self-learn from YouTube, you know, to learn it yourself. Nowadays, there's a lot of simple technologies that you can actually self-service, self yeah. Like, for example, Excel Macro. For example, like even robotic process automation, RPA. You can get yourself, you know, learning from UiPath and you get yourself certified later. Uh, even to the extent Microsoft Power BI. So these are the short-term quick wins which you can achieve within three to six months. The next one is medium term. To me, it is something that you can achieve, let's say, within six to 12 months. And this time around, you no longer can, you know, self-service. You need to involve 
somebody within your organization. So for me, it's somebody from the IT, somebody from the technology team. Yeah, so that these are the ones who have better equipped to guide you how to utilize this uh, app. And because you are involving multiple stakeholders, there's resources invested. You better make sure that you achieve the FTE saving more than one. Yeah? Otherwise, it doesn't weigh in on the business case certification. So one of the examples of such technology that you can pursue with now better uh, support like data science that you can actually pursue into artificial intelligence and also machine learning. And what we did last time in PSF was to even create chatbots. So chatbots is a longer time. Uh, you need to invest and so forth. Last but not the least, the longer term, it is usually transformational. You for sure no longer can involve your internal IT team and so forth. You need to involve external consultant. And for such a case, you have to achieve FTE efficiency of at least between 5 to 10, depending on the investment. And that's where you can achieve for like software's uh, example. Like what we did last time was Promenta General Voucher Solution, uh, some good solution from Blackline that helps you to do closing in a smarter way. Uh, the one that I'm pursuing now is from Thomson Routers, where it helps us to do uh, statutory reporting as well as Bookiva as well. These are the tools that's very helpful. Now, you mentioned earlier that at least at your organization now, you are requiring staff to only report five times uh, in a month or so. Now, so this is hybrid work, remote work. It's been around for a few years now and expectations by analysts, consultants that it's going to continue. Now, given all the learnings of the past three years, do you think hybrid work will impact the productivity or efficiency of the finance uh, function up or down? Yeah, it's a very good question. And um, before I share my answer, I'd like to also share with the listeners, right? Some uh, recent trends that occurred uh, since the pandemic started. One thing that relates to me in the world of finance was when we saw uh, Coopers PwC in short, in year 2021, they announced that their entire uh, tax service team could work from home in perpetuity. Uh, I think there was another famous one by Twitter where they announced in year 2020, team members could work from home forever. <laughs> and um, my favorite music app, Spotify, uh, they announced working from anywhere. So these are the few major companies globally that has already been pursuing this and we can learn from them, which is something good. From some other major countries as well, like in this uh, Nordic re uh, region, that's what I also saw from the BBC News. They are already beginning to experiment uh, going after a four-day work week. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And they found it pretty successful, like in Sweden. They're already pursuing, instead of eight hours work day, already going to six hours work day perspective. So if all the above, right? Then I would say that somehow or rather it was proven that the positivity outweighs the negativity. So because nowadays, as we can see, the millennials, Generation Y, yeah, I, I was the first Generation Y, yeah, and by year 2025, uh, which is about another two years from now, right, it will form about 75% of the workforce together with the Generation Z. And guess what? So this latest generation of millennials plus the, the Gen Z, they see hybrid work as a need to have because they already gone through it and it became somehow now an entitlement. So in short, yeah, for me, I personally feel that productivity will not be affected because if it works so well during the pandemic, you know, why discontinue the possibility, right? Because after all, to me, what's important is always the quality and it's not just the quantity. So so long as the work gets done, when it gets done, where it gets done is no longer material. And unless there are some work that you need to be physically there, yeah, like, like doing the manufacturing line or when you're in the, the airline or the food industry, you have no choice, you have to be there. Uh, but for us in the finance uh, service line, unless there are a few exceptions where we have lots of new joiners as well, we encourage them to be on site during the first uh, 100 days or the first three months. But then after, I think um, it is pretty much free and easy according to our company's policy. Now, moving into 2023, what do you see are the top challenges for CFOs and controllers? What do you think? 
Yes, something caught my mind as well recently uh, from the World Economic Forum yeah, that happened in Davos. Uh, to me, these are the three key areas that I foresee are the top challenges. First one, of course, in every CFO's mind that keeps us awake at night is, you know, how do we protect our margins, financial margins yeah, in this perspective? Uh, pretty much, how do we protect our balance sheet? Now, we actually realized that, you know, in recent times, it's still ongoing as of now, the rising interest rates, whether it's domestic or abroad, uh, resulting from inflations at the same time, coupled with the contracting growth. So many banks are already predicting that this uh, recession would start and of course would last all the way until mid of next year, 2024. Uh, so to me, how we can protect ourselves is to pursue major cost reduction and at the same time to build up our reserve for cash. Like for example, in Baker Hughes, yeah, in year 2022 last year, we already announced a proactive measure to deliver at least 150 million US dollar in cost reduction so that we can ultimately deliver the uh, maximize value to our shareholders. Second perspective is, of course, because now we are working more and more uh, on a hybrid mode. So how do we prevent fraud or prevent scams? I think this is also another topic that is uh, of interest nowadays because uh, we are no longer able to determine if the person on the other side of the email exchange is really who they say they are, right? So that's where many scams are getting more sophisticated technologically and that's where it became more effective. So I've seen before in our finance function, you know, some common methods of fraud is where they tamper with the, the contracts to make it fake, you know, receipts, uh, they tamper with the invoices, you know, they also use emails to pretend who they are from by somebody else. And they just add a word of a dot there or a comma. Uh, it looks the same. Uh, it's actually another person, yeah. Many a times, those pretending to be the CFO or the CEO or the managing director of the company, issuing urgent emails to the employees to ask them to release the funds and so on, the money. So this is pretty much a risky area. But uh, at the same time, we ensure ourselves by using automation to our advantage that um, we're able to actually use email to detect whether the email address has changed. Yeah. So for example, if there's an extra dot there, it will immediately trigger a warning to say this is coming from an external party. Be careful. Uh, and sometimes our team members, we actually advise them to give a call to the person to just verify their voice and sometimes to the extend, request them to turn on the video such to see them face to face that they are indeed the real person that was uh, claimed and so forth. The third challenge, uh, this will be my last, is about talent management. Because I felt that in year 2022, this famous term or quote of uh, great resignation has taught us many lessons that if we don't start taking care of our employee, somebody else will take care for them elsewhere. So it's very important for us as leaders and as CFO, right, to encourage our team members to pursue mental health, to go for, let's say, work-life balance, you know, to have proper cutoff. Because sometimes when you work from home, there's virtually no cutoff or no time off, yeah? So you actually continue working. For us as leaders, we ourselves have to continuously train our mindset to be more agile, to encourage our team members to practice growth mindset, especially when it comes to this VUCA, uh, right? Volatile, uh, you know, complex, uncertain, and, and ambiguous. We have to be prepared with whatever scenarios that is coming in this uh, 2023 and so forth. Lastly, drawing from your experiences, and you, what would be your top recommendation, one or two, uh, for other finance leaders in 2023? I would say it will relate very much to the challenges that I prescribed earlier. Mm -hmm. For me, number one is, of course, how do we help our businesses to improve their cash flow? Uh, because most of the time, finance, we are seen as the support function. But I believe we can convert ourselves into the partner of choice by employing you know, some of our advantages coming from technology to help our business to you know, develop 
real-time cash forecast, looking into what are the DSO, right? day sales outstanding and the DPO, days payable outstanding, as well as coupling with the DIO, days inventory outstanding, so that we can monitor it on the live basis, how is it moving on the day-to-day, so that it doesn't become a surprise when it comes to the money closing and so forth. Yeah? So by harnessing the power of these analytics, we can give foresight transparency to our business leaders. Second, of course, uh, is talent. I think talent is something that I've described earlier, so I will not go into detail. The last one, of course, to me is something in my heart uh, about sustainability. So we have to begin to take action because year 2030 and 2050 uh, is just around the corner. So for us in Baker Hughes, uh, we are taking uh, a leadership role right, in driving industry's energy transition. So we are very much a partner for many organizations. We ourselves have to achieve it by example for like what we have committed to reduce scope one and scope two uh, greenhouse gas emission by 50% uh, on the year of 2030. And with that, right, we're able to achieve net zero emission by year 2050. I would say these are the few top actions that I can foresee or imagine uh, being our top priority for not just Baker Hughes, but I believe for many organizations as well. Ryan, thank you for joining us on Podchats for Future CFO. Thank you, Alan. It was my pleasure. That was Ryan Gann, Global Reporting and Statutory Leader GFO at Baker Hughes on the topic of the continuing transformation of finance reporting. You are listening in to Podchats for Future CFO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CFO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CFO. Bye for now. Thank you.